Welcome to the Dental Business Podcast with your host and owner of multiple businesses, a mentor, investor, and dental surgeon, Brad Thornton. Hi guys, it's Brad Thornton here. I'm doing a joint video and audio recording for my uh, the Dental Business Podcast, which is my podcast. It's inspired by the Facebook group, uh, Dentists Who Invest, which inspired Jazz Gilati's recent podcast episode about investment. So there's a lot going on around this at the moment in the UK. Um, so I thought I'd kind of jump in and give my take on, on what I do with my money and how I structure my sort of investments and, and the way I think about it and, and sort of plan in my head where my money goes. Um, you know, I'm not an expert. This is just what I do, my opinion. So it's kind of split into four categories. Um, now, it's a given that, you know, the majority of people watching and listening are going to be self-employed. So we need to allocate money aside for tax. So this sort of uh, episode is kind of after you've moved your tax out of the way. Um, you know, they said 30% or 33%, a third of what you earn, if you're self-employed, put it into a separate account so you don't see it and just keep that to one side for tax. Yeah, it's in a bank account. Yeah, it's eroding in value due to inflation and you don't get any interest on that, but just keep it to the side. Don't leverage it. Don't risk it. Don't do anything that could give you a tax issue when it comes around to paying the tax that you own, uh, that you earn, that you owe. Um, on that note as well, just a quick one, for every pound of tax you save, so if you're tax efficient and you get advice and you kind of do things sensibly, that's the equivalent of maybe two, three, four, five or whatever pounds worth of generated income. So it's always worth being tax efficient. So you can actually reduce that tax burden, that tax bill. Um, so just always be mindful of that. <clears throat> it's, a, it's quite a, a, an important thing to do to just be aware of tax. So yeah, you've parked your tax to one side. Now, the first step for me is making sure that within a bank account, current bank account, uh, liquid cash, liquid asset, immediately accessible, you've got a reasonable amount of money that's just there. So, so your zero point isn't zero. It might be 10 or 20,000 pounds, something like that, which is in a bank account that's there, ready to use, just in case. That's kind of like step one. If you can't get to a point where you've got 10 grand in the bank and you keep going back down to zero, then you really need to sort out your outgoings and get into a situation where, you know, you're spending less than you're earning. You know, you're living within your means and you're reducing outgoings so you can get to a point where you've got a reasonable amount of money just sat within a bank account and then more. So the sort of step two bit <clears throat> after that, um, you have to excuse my voice, it's quite early today. Um, so the step two is the kind of ISA <clears throat> that we, we talk about where you have a, a 20 grand limit per year um, where you can put money into an ISA. Now, not your high street bank ISA where it just, again, sits there and gets, what, 0.01% interest or something ridiculous, um, which it is at the moment. But you use that as a vehicle or a wrapper around something like a stocks and shares ISA on something like... Hargreaves, Lansdowne, Vanguard, something where you can actually control what that money does and, and make the money work more for you. Um, these can be managed, so you can pay a company or uh, somebody to sort of deal with this for you, but it's really easy for me personally to try and reduce risk 
that money is put into tracker funds, index funds. So it's, you know, it's invested in a market. So we're not investing in single stocks, single shares, single companies and relying on them to perform well and the value of that company to improve. We are putting money into, say, the FTSE 100, or say FTSE 250, which is more representative of the UK. So that's a group of 250 companies within the UK, the top 250 within, or at least um, <clears throat> within that um, within that index. So it's um, not the top 250, but it's 250 uh, large companies that are uh, sort of held within the UK. Now, because you've got a little piece of all of them, you're not kind of relying on any individual to do well because you're just relying basically on the UK market over time uh, growing, which history tells us is uh, almost as certain as you can possibly be. Um, and the money that sits in this ISA and you try and max it out every year, 20 grand, um, you do not touch it. You put the money in, you let it grow, you put it into tracker and index funds, try and reduce risk by putting money in these index funds which follow market uh, markets which may go up and down, but over the long term, you can be almost certain, as, as certain as you can be, that things will grow generally. I mean, <clears throat> over a 20-year period, what becomes less expensive, really? Um, you know, countries become bigger, economies grow. Um, but also, as well as following markets, try and diversify across the world. Try and diversify as much as you can <clears throat> in different asset classes and different markets. One book I'd recommend reading is um, all to do with Ray Dalio's All Weather Portfolio. Um, he's, a, he's a man who has researched macroeconomics and <clears throat> really looked into what you need to um, look at investing in to spread risk as much as you can. Whenever you speak to people who are, you know, a lot more knowledgeable than I am, and the, these large investors and, and runners of hedge funds and investment funds, uh, and people that are in the know really, what they will tell you is, yeah, you can try your best to get really exciting growth and grow and, um, and look at compound interest and all of that, but the one thing that's important is that you protect the downside. Because if you lose money on your investment, if you've got a pot of however much, say a hundred grand, and you're pretty set on say one market like the US market or the UK market, or you're only in equities, so stocks and shares. If there's a global recession, like in 2008, where everything, like you know, all, most markets just went down and plummeted. And similar to what's going on at the moment, there are periods where, say, all stocks and shares and all of the um, sort of the equity markets sort of reduced in value. If you lose 50% of your pot because there's been a dip, there's been a recession, there's been a, a, re a sort of a shrinking of that market. When you're at, say, 50 grand, it's an extreme example, but if that loses 50% of its value because of that sort of movement of the market, you then have to double your money and the market has to double to be able to go back to your zero point. So 50% loss creates a 100% requirement gain to get back to where you were. So it's important to protect the downside to make sure that you're diversified enough, you've, you've spread your risk so that when things maybe aren't quite as good, 
you try not to lose money. Yeah, you might find that your growth isn't quite as exciting as it could be, but if you're sensible, have a long-term view, protecting the downside is really, really important, so make sure you spread risk. Read as much as you can, seek advice, uh, but Ray Dalio's All Weather Portfolio is a good reference place to look so that you can, if you want to manage things yourself, you've got an idea of where you might want to put some money and spread the risk and just be a little bit more aware of what it is that you're doing. So that's number two. Um, number three would be when you're at a situation where your ice is quite full um, and you've got a reasonable amount of money, you know, you can monitor how you're doing in terms of your annual interest or your up-to-date interest um, that you've earned off the back of your portfolio. You know, you can see that you're doing okay. You can see that you've got an amount of money in there um, and you're reasonably stable and, and kind of you've sorted your outgoings out. You can then look at investing in some um, income generating assets. So these would be like um, residential, commercial property. Uh, this practice is a, a cash flowing income generating asset for me. It's my dental practice. So you want to be putting some money, um, I'm saying you want to be, this is my opinion again, this is what I do. Um, so I have residential property, I've got this place. Um, so you want to be buying something that is an income generated asset, like residential property. There are ways in which you can buy property and build a portfolio um, by recycling money, building a portfolio quicker than you can with traditional thinking of building up a deposit paying 25%, saving up again, paying a deposit, getting a mortgage, saving up again. One episode a few ago with Anne Holton, who is a property expert, used to be a dentist, she's now a property 100%. We go through that strategy, which is buy, rent, refurb, refinance strategy. Um, an example of this strategy would be, say you've got 60,000 quid, uh, no, sorry, 75,000 quid, and you buy a house for 60,000, you spend money buying the house in terms of fees, you spend money refurbing the property. So all in, you're about 75 grand in. If that's cash purchase, uh, because it's cash, pur cash purchase, you often get it at a little bit of a discount. Um, but you've spent, you've spent 75,000 pounds. If you then go to a bank after a certain amount of time, it's, it usually needs to be six months, uh, and you want to get a mortgage on that property, a typical residential buy-to-let property, uh, buy-to-let mortgage is gonna be a 75% loan to value. If you go to the bank and say, okay, Mr. Bank, I want you to uh, mortgage this property, they will then value that property. Now, if you've planned it well and nothing's ever as perfect as this example, you could hopefully then have a, have a property that's worth a hundred grand. You then get your 75,000 pound mortgage, which is 75% of the 100,000 pound new valuation. You then extract all of your money back out of it. You're able to then do that on property number two, property number three, property number four. So you're able to build a portfolio quite quickly where you're using very little, if any, of your own money once the deal's done. Um, in essence, you're in a situation where the bank has funded that property pretty much 100%. You've got 25% equity sat in the asset. It's cash flowing. So you've got your rent coming in and you've done that for none of your own money because you've got it back out. Um, and that's step number three. So you've got step number one, step number two, and then you've got some assets that are cash flowing, income generating assets. Now it's at this point, maybe after number two, maybe after this one, where you start to have an idea of these almost passive income streams, this, 
this money that's coming from your non-working income. So you're earning money as a dentist. You've done step one, you've done step two, and you've hopefully maybe got on step three. You start generating some money that's not related to you, your time, basically. You're not exchanging time for money at this point, and you're not working as a dentist to earn an income. Because for me, now I have traded. I've done foreign exchange, I've done stocks and shares. I've kind of been in and out of the market trying to you know, catch a wave and, and all this. Now, the problem with me is that I just became obsessed with it. You know, I'd be, uh, I'd have an app on my phone that would be um, following the markets and I'd be able to, I'd like, I'd give a patient LA, as they're numbing up, I'd actually turn around, check my phone to see how my trade was doing or how I was doing with that, um, you know, the, the, the position that I'd, that I'd done or the, you know, whatever. And it, just, it was just becoming a little bit overwhelming. So I, I scrapped that off because my mindset, being a little bit obsessive about certain things um, and maybe focusing a bit too hard on specific stuff, it was taking up too much time. I was looking at, at too sort of uh, short a time frame. So I was looking at charts, the one hour chart and, and um, maybe even the minute chart in Forex or five minute chart, like ridiculous. And I was trying to get in and out of the market too much. So for me trading, I, it's just not for me. I prefer to put money in, uh, into tracker funds. But it might be at this point, if you're earning money that isn't related to your general income, then if you're earning money on your ISA, you've got an interest uh, that you can see and you, you generate a bit of income. You maybe you've got some rental income coming from some assets. Um, I think that might be a time when you can use that kind of income and that sort of money to then start doing things with, which are a, a, maybe a little bit more risky, in my opinion. So you might use that money to trade with. Um, now, people will, will jump into trading a lot earlier on in the, in the game, but I think you need to build a couple of these foundations up first, personally. Um, now, there is a number four in this, which is non-income generating assets. So if you are in a situation where you're quite um, reasonably okay financially, you've got money sat in a current bank account that you can use immediately if you need, it's your zero point is 10, 15, 20 grand or whatever it is. You've then got your ISA that you're maxing out. Um, you know, you're sitting and holding. You don't need to access that because you don't need to. Um, and then you're moving on to some asset gen assets to generate income, generate some revenue, some rental properties, commercial properties, businesses, dental practices, whatever. Um, then step four is non-income. So that's things like gold, fine art, stuff like that. Um, now I have some physical gold. I have some gold bullion bars that I've, that I've purchase um, so I have some of that as well um, just provides a bit of diversification interestingly a comment that was on one of the posts in the group um, was talking about Warren Buffett and how he actually says that physical gold isn't a good asset to buy um, but he actually is now you know this year he bought some uh, some stocks in a Canadian oil uh, sorry Canadian gold mining company so he is in oil, uh, in gold now um, so even someone like him that has traditionally always bought stocks and shares and done really well over the however many decades in, in that sort of asset class is now also diversifying and looking into gold as well as somewhere where you can go, which is a reasonable safe haven um, and is less impacted by certain market fluctuations. So um, I don't think that complicated. I just think it's quite cool to have some gold bars <laughs> and be a little bit more diversified that way. Um, 
So yeah, those are my four sort of stages. Now with dentists, dental practice is probably going to come in a hell of a lot earlier than that. You know, as soon as some people can, they're going to buy dental practice and they're going to get this cash flowing, income generating asset early on in the whole process. Now what I, I did, but, but my issue was I ended up using back some of my tax money and, and maybe over leveraging myself a bit early on uh, before the practice was sufficiently successful to be able to really fund that. So I had to work my absolute bollocks off, you know, for a good number of years to, to sort of keep up with that and, and make sure that we were kept going. Um, I probably wouldn't do that again. You know, 10 years later, I'm all right. But at the beginning, I think I couldn't do that now. So I think get these foundations set up first and then kind of work your way through. Uh, yeah, that's my take on it. hope that was helpful. There are people out there way, way more knowledgeable about things that, than I am. I'm going to be interviewing Vinay uh, Rathod soon, which is a, he's a dentist financial advisor combo or one. I don't know if that, I think he's still a dentist. I don't, I'm not sure, but um, going to talk about things like pensions that might be um, a little bit less exciting. I do not have a pension. I've got an NHS pension back from when I worked in the NHS, but my pension to me is is what I've just set out. It's about having income generating assets. It's about having an ISA that I don't touch, that I max out every year, that, that benefits from compound interest and, and set on trackers and just basically rely, rely on the global economies, the economies of the world to grow over the decades. Those are my pensions. Um, I'd like to get his opinion on that when I interview him for an episode that'll be coming out possibly next week or the week after, possibly. So yeah, we'll uh, look forward to that. Anyway, see you all next time. Bye.